It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Father, we humbly ask now that as we open up the word of God, that we can just continue in an attitude of worship toward you, that as we've sang and prayed, fellowship and given, Lord, uh, we ask that you would help us to continue now in our worship of you by giving our attention to the word of God, to listen to what your Holy Spirit would want to say to us personally. And Lord, prepare each one of us accordingly. You know what that means for each and every soul that's standing in this room this morning. We ask that your spirit prepare us and that your Holy Spirit would teach us and speak to us directly and personally this day through your word. And we ask in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, our identity, which is, of course, who we are, and then our status, which would be a reference to the condition that we're now in, those two things should always direct how we live out our current existence. What our identity is and what our condition is should always impact, that should be the thing that influences and guides the way that we live out our lives. Now, let me give you a very simple example of that, and I often bring this up in counseling sessions to both singles as well as to married couples, and that's this. A single person should not be living like a married person. So if you are single... If you are engaged, if you in any status of still being single are single, you should not be living like a married person. And I think you know what I mean by that. And if you're married, you should not be living like a single person. If you're in a marriage relationship, you're no longer to be living like a single person. You should be living according to your identity and your status, living like a married person now. Well, in like manner, Christians should not live like non-Christians. That is our value system, our interests, the things that we give our time and energy and attention to, our perspectives, our activities. Rather, Christians should live for Christ. Christians should have a different value system. We should have a different uh, set of interests, a different mindset, different pursuits and values and priorities that reflect our relationship with Christ. That because we're now in a relationship with Christ, we live relative to that identity and to that status. Now that we're in a sense, you could say, and it's biblical, married to Jesus spiritually, we should live out our lives now differently, living in accordance with that spiritual standing and condition. And that's really the point of these first few verses of chapter 3 as we transition from a doctrinal section of the book into the very practical section that's coming in the weeks ahead. Now, by way of backdrop, in chapter 2 particularly, Paul declared there a lot about what we've received as a result of our salvation experience with Christ and our relationship with Christ. He talked about we now have this new condition spiritually, this new position that we have as the result of being one with Christ, being related to him spiritually, as a result of entering into a commitment of marriage Two people, the Bible says, become one flesh. That is two separate lives become one individual shared life. Well, in the same way, that's true spiritually when we come into a relationship with Jesus and are saved. As Christians, we become one with Christ. 
We become unified with him. Our life becomes a shared life now with Jesus. And that means for us wonderfully that we share in everything that belongs to Jesus through our spiritual connection with him. This is a lot of what chapter two was about as Paul was writing how we've been united with Jesus in his life, in his death in his resurrection, even in his ascension and sitting at the right hand of the Father in his glorified eternal state. What Jesus accomplished and what Jesus possesses, we actually share in now. We become the benefactors of that. We become individuals who share in our identity with Jesus and our position with Jesus. And that should influence, Paul's going to say, how we now live. That should direct the way we think and what we seek after and what we do in our lives look what he says with me in verse one again if you can draw your attention there he says beginning if then you were raised with christ seek those things which are above where christ is sitting at the right hand of god so in light of the fact that christ who is our savior who is our lord is now raised back into heaven from whence he originally came before he came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins and raise from the dead since jesus is now in heaven reigning and ruling in that place we should pursue what we need from heaven because paul's going to say because that's where christ is We should therefore be occupied and interested in the things that matter to heaven's throne. You notice he begins verse one in our text there by just reminding us again of our spiritual position in Christ of being joined him. He says, verse one, if then you were raised with Christ. Now, the language there, if then, is really written purposely in in a way of a fulfilled condition. Uh, It could perhaps even maybe better be translated maybe in our modern thinking of since then you were raised with Christ Or, or, or you might say it could be translated in view of the fact that you were raised with Christ. It it describes an accomplished thing, not if in the sense of if it's true, but the idea of since it is true because of the fact in view of the fact that you were raised with Christ that your spiritual condition changed when you became saved and became a child of God and God's perspective towards you is that you were raised with Christ. Now, question becomes, what specifically there in verse one is Paul referencing when he says raised with Christ? Well, could be a reference to one of two things. He could be referring to the fact of how as Christians, we share in the experience of Jesus's resurrection. And the Bible teaches that. Having died to sin with Jesus, we've also now been raised, the book of Romans tells us, into newness of life. And we've also shared in Jesus' resurrection. And in that sense, we've experienced spiritual and eternal life as we were joined one with Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in the sixth chapter of Romans. He says to you as a Christian, we were buried with him through baptism and death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, a brand new life raised out of the old way of sin and death. He says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in his resurrection. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we also shall live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. So certainly we've been raised with Christ in the sense that we share in his resurrection. 
that we're dead to that old way of life. We've raised to a new life, a spiritual life now. And more than that, we share in the eternal resurrected life of Christ, which gives us the hope of eternity, that we already possess eternal life. Eternal life isn't something ahead. It's something you already possess as a child of God. And one day you'll experience as you're released from this physical body and enter into the eternal dimension. Now, another thing he could possibly be referencing here in light of the context of verse one, when he says raised with Christ, it could be a reference to how we share also in Jesus's heavenly position. That is not only were we raised with Christ in the spiritual sense, but that we also, the Bible teaches, in a sense, share in Jesus's heavenly position, being there seated in the eternal dimension, that we've experienced that our place in eternity, the idea is reserved. It's secure because we're married to Christ. Listen to what Paul says, writing the Ephesians in chapter two. It's a beautiful reference to this. Ephesians two says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together, listen, with Christ, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says, not only do we share in his resurrection, but the Bible says, in a sense, we've shared in his ascension and his now position there in the eternal dimension. The point being behind that, God already confidently sees you experiencing your eternal future. God is so confident in the work he's accomplished through your faith in Christ of joining you together with Jesus, making you one with him. God, from his perspective, already sees you dwelling in eternity. God already sees you in his mind there together in your eternal destiny with Jesus. Notice Paul says we were raised with Christ, verse 1, who he says Jesus is now dwelling above, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, when the Bible talks about the right hand of a throne, the right hand of God, the right hand of a throne was always the place of supreme importance. That was the place of, of the one that was preeminent in connection with the king. It indicated you shared in the authority and the power of that throne. And so this speaks of how Jesus shares together in the rulership and the authority and the power of the throne of God with his father. Jesus being victorious over all things has been rightfully given that place of being seated at the right hand of his father. Now, of course, we know that Ephesians 1, Hebrews chapter 1, 10, 12, these different chapters tell us that Jesus, having left the throne of God, came to this earth as a man, lived out a sinless life and existence as a human, which we can't live on our behalf, fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law, allowed himself to die in our place as he died for our sins upon the cross, then rose from the dead. And God was so pleased with the satisfactory work of Christ that Jesus ascended and now sits as the, the, the righteous, reigning, ruling, glorified King of kings and Lord there at the right hand of the Father. The Father has given him that seat of preeminence. First Peter 3 says it this way, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And the Bible tells us exactly what Jesus right now, today, in this very moment, is doing there at the right hand of the Father, risen from the dead in his glorified existence. Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25 tell us that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. That is, he's now there as our representative. His very life, 
his death for our sins and his resurrected victory, his life is a representation, it's a representative on our behalf that we are free from our sin, that we've been forgiven. And more than that, Jesus by his life always lives to make intercession in the sense that he's standing in the gap for our welfare, for our assistance, for the times that we need help. Jesus is there as our mediator and our representative. We have an advocate at the very throne of God, someone who whatever your need is spiritually, Jesus is there as that mediator to help with it. And in light of these realities of spiritual things, Paul then says very practically in verse 1, since then, because since this is true in view of the fact you were raised with Christ, he then says, verse 1, therefore seek those things which are above, he says, where Christ is. Now, now, the idea there where Paul says, seek those things, he's talking about pursue these things, search after, let this be what, what you're requesting and asking for. And he says, request and ask for things above. He's saying, pursue after the things which are above. And why? Well, the Bible tells us the reason, he says, because that's where Christ is. Why should I pursue what's above? Why should I always be seeking after and, and asking and requesting for things above? Well, Paul says it's very simple because that's where Christ is. And that's what your whole life is occupied with. And that's who the one who loves you and is there for you to help you is available for. The one whom our life is all about now, Christ, is connected to heaven and what's above and spiritual. So my desires and your interests ought to be in what's above. Because the lover of your soul is above. He's there at the right hand of the Father, ready to help. Now, what might that look like practically for you and I? To seek those things above. What might that look like practically? Well, let's think about a few things. First of all, I think it certainly practically looks like this. Seeking after Jesus. Seeking Jesus personally. That is in the sense of greater closeness and intimacy. Just seeking those things above is going to look first and foremost like seeking the one who is above, Christ. Seeking to know Jesus better and to see him more, to know his ways. I think to seek things above, secondly, also looks like perhaps practically spending time in prayer. Seeking the one who is above, the one who is there. Again, learning how to live my life in a way where all that is needed in my life and all that I'm depending on, and, and whenever I have any need, practical, emotional, mental, spiritual, material, whatever it may be, that I'm learning how to seek those things from above. I'm learning how to look to heaven as my supply, look to heaven for my provision, looking to the throne of God above and the hand of the Lord to help me in some problem I'm facing, to supply if there's a need financially or to work in a way to you know, allow me to meet someone if I'm single and I'm lonely, that I'm looking above. I'm seeking from above. Lord, I want you to provide this. Lord, I'm looking to you to meet this need or to help me in this way and that we're seeking from above. The idea is instead of striving down below. And do you see what I mean by that? Because so often we realize a need exists in our life and they're legitimate needs sometimes. But typically we find a need and then we seek to fulfill that need here below. And so we strive after this or we try and manipulate that or we try and force this or we try and, 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 and the Lord is saying to us, listen, 
can can you give me a chance to show you my power? To show you my love? To let you be sure that that isn't something you just made happen, but you sought me from above and I made it happen? That I did it? That I could get the glory and I could show you how real I am and how much I love you? And what a wonderful thing when a child of God begins to come into this awareness of when we need things, we seek them from above. And we get to see God work and Jesus show his power. And again, seeking things above, I think as well, just understanding what matters to heaven as we pray, Lord, show me, show me from from above what matters most regarding what's spiritual and eternal. I think another way practically that we can seek that which is above is by spending time pursuing, seeking that which is in the word of God. Because where does the word of God have its origin? From above. The word of God is eternal. It's divine. It's breathed out by God himself. The word of God, the Bible has its origin above. So as you're seeking the word of God to read it on your own, to let God speak to you, to learn the ways of the Lord, as you do things like this, assemble for times where the word of God is being taught and spoken, we are seeking from what is above how to live on earth below. And as we seek the word of God in a very personal way, this book reveals to you and I divine truths how we are to live our lives on this earth as citizens of heaven, but knowing how we're to live out our lives on this earth. Another way we can seek what's above, I think as well, is by engaging regularly in worship of the Father and the Son. Because let me remind you again, Read the book of Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and realize our primary occupation of what we're going to be doing when we leave these earthly bodies, whether we die or we're removed from this earth by the Lord of the rapture, which we'll talk about. Listen, the primary thing we're going to be doing is worshiping God, is worshiping Jesus. Those who've gone on before us, saints who have died, relatives, friends who loved and knew Jesus and they're now in the presence of the Lord. Do you know what they're doing? They're worshiping the Lord. My point is this. Why not start participating now in what you're going to do for all of eternity? Because that's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. We're not going to be up there playing Uno, floating around on a cloud or something. We're going to be worshiping Jesus We're going to be giving love and adoration and expression of that. So listen, why not participate now with what's happening above? It will cause your heart to be more connected to what's eternal and to what is above in preparation for what's coming. And one other final area I would say that I think is an important area for us as Christians to seek those things which are above is to seek the power and the enablement and the divine you know, experience of the power of the Holy Spirit that God has offered to us. The Bible tells us that Jesus, speaking of what we often refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, listen to Jesus' words in Luke 24. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. From on high. Did we receive the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to give us the ability to live for Christ when we got saved? Yes, absolutely. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. But the Bible also refers of Jesus also specifically mentions that we also can experience this glorious thing 
of this gift from the Father, this promise of the Father of being baptized with the Holy Spirit that we might receive, he says here in his own words, power from on high, enablement, supernatural strengthening and empowering filled with the love of God where the power and the love of God like a river of living water just begins to overflow from our lives where our cup overflows and we begin to serve in the dynamic and the power of the Holy Spirit and I want to say to you this morning if you're a Christian and you sense a dryness in your life or a lack of love or, or an anemia or a weakness and you, you want to experience more of the power of the Spirit of God working through your life, I encourage you, Lord, I'm asking, would you baptize me with your Spirit? Would you endue me with power from on high? It's a promise that's offered to us. It's one of the things that we're told to seek from above, to ask for, to experience. And the bottom line is this, ladies and gentlemen, everybody on this planet right now is seeking something. Everybody is. We are always all seeking something. My question is to evaluate your life this morning and honestly answer this, what are you seeking right now for most? We're always seeking something. The next promotion, better house, nicer car, a raise, a spouse. We're always, we're always seeking something. What are you seeking foremost? Jesus had great advice. You know what he said? He said in Matthew 6.33, life verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And listen to this. And all these other things that you've been busy seeking, they'll be added unto you. Added unto you. Jesus says, listen, if you prioritize seeking what I know is best for you, if you seek me and my kingdom first and you make that your priority and how you direct your life, your day, your lifestyle, he says, if you do that, all the other things, I know that you need them. I'll just add them in. There'll be consolation prizes. You, everybody else will be chasing after it and I'll just drop it into your lap. I'll just add it into your life. What a beautiful thing that the Lord's established for us. Seek those things which are above. Paul then says, verse two, and set your mind, your thinking on things above, not on things of the earth. So here we're encouraged to have our focus, our, our thoughts and our mindset anchored in what is heavenly, to set our mind, he says, on things above not on the things of the earth now let me tell you what the bible is not saying the bible is not encouraging there that we should not give any thought to earthly things whatsoever many times christians can be guilty if we're not careful of just kind of false humility and hyper spirituality and and kind of just foolish living where we think that we're supposed to just ignore everything that's material and ignore everything earthly because we're going to go to heaven anyway and since I'm going to be raptured why you know do anything I'm just going to be raptured someday anyway I'm just my life's going to end and everything's going to be eternal listen the bible does not call us to live irresponsible or to be lazy or or to disconnect from everyday life. Jesus himself told us, occupy until I come. The idea is stay occupied. That we're to stay engaged and productive. Certainly we need to be wise and responsible in how we live. We're told that we are to be the salt on this earth, the light of this world. And one of the ways we do that is by honoring the Lord and how we live. The Bible teaches that we should be good stewards, 
that we should work hard and pay our bills and provide for our families and and manage our money properly and care for our families and be good husbands and good wives and good parents and that we should enjoy this life to some extent, that we should be seeking to obey the laws. I think as Christians, we should be the best citizens in our country. We should be the best employees at our jobs and a blessing to this earth. However, the problem of what Paul's addressing here in verse 2, of course, is often our thoughts as Christians just tend to become overly consumed with earthly things. This is the point Paul's getting to here. It's not that we shouldn't think at all about the things of the earth. It's just our focus and mindset often is too much on earthly things. Remember Jesus said on one occasion, the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. He said they have a way of choking out spiritual life and spiritual fruit. And that's where we make the mistake. Often we get so entangled in the things of the world and everyday existence, we get so caught up with the cares of this life and taking care of this and taking care of that and being concerned about this and the deceitfulness of the riches, like, wow, that's, that's nice, but there's actually one nicer than that. And if I work a little harder, I can get something a little nicer than that. Or, and, and all of a sudden, the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the life starts to choke out our spiritual life because we become so consumed and occupied with those things. And we're thinking too much about the things of this earth, the ways that this world values things. And we become too earthly minded that we're sometimes not much heavenly good. And what Paul is calling us to here, the Bible is commanding, I think in verse two is, let me say it this way, a conscious shift in our mindset as a Christian, a, a conscious shift in our thought life where we seek to set our mind, fix it on things above and not so much on things of the earth. And I'll be the first to say, that's not natural to our flesh because we're fleshly. We live in a physical material world and we have a physical material body that's you know, intended to function in this world. So because of that, it's something that really as a Christian, I must do responsively. I must consciously choose to set my mind on things above out of my love for the Lord. And out of my recognition that, wait a minute, yes, I still live in this world. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm a citizen of heaven now. I'm a servant of Jesus. I, I'm going to dwell in eternity one day. Everything's not about all this world and this earth foremost. And so the Bible's saying here, we must determine to set our mind on things above. The idea of set your mind there, the language means to put attention on or to fix your thoughts on something. It's the implication to, to concentrate on something. It's a conscious decision where we seek to really do our best to concentrate our thinking of, on what's heavenly instead of always just being occupied thinking about what's earthly. One translation renders this verse this way. He says, let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. And again, as I said with seeking those things above, how do we do that practically? Set our mind on things above. Well, I think it's much the same by being committed to using my mind to let the word of God filtrate the way that I think by letting the word of God renew my mind regularly because look, this world's always telling me how to think and, and, and what my perspective should be and, and what I should be thinking about and, and letting the word of God have a constant place in your life where it's renewing and reprogramming your mind. I need that all the time, man. 
to let the Word of God reprogram how I think. And if you're not reading your Bible, trust me, I tell you, you're going to start thinking wrong real quick. Real quick. Oh, I know the Bible. I've read it for years. So what? You need to keep reading it. You need to keep letting the Word of God wash over your mind, renew your mind so that you keep thinking properly and your mind is in the right place. I think another way, again, being intentional, as I said, about prayer and worship. When you pray, when we come together like this and we worship, what happens? Your mind goes off of the things of this earth. Isn't it beautiful? For just a brief moment, you, you kind of, all the things of this earth in your mind, they kind of settle down and you start thinking about the things above. And your perspective is, is changed. I'll tell you another way I think very practically we can set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth is being intentional about how you manage your money and realizing that you should manage your money, I should handle my resources with God in mind. Remembering first and foremost that God's the one that's my provider, that I seek those things I need from above. Lord, you're my provider. Lord, would you grant me a job? Lord, would you help me in my job? Lord, And realizing, Lord, you're my source and also, Lord, I'm a steward of everything you've entrusted to me. And as you manage your resources with God in mind, it helps your mind to be upon what's above. And again, as you're making your decisions, setting your mind on things above, I think many times the mind is where the thoughts and the decisions were processing things. The idea is process your decisions with a heavenly perspective. Ask God to begin helping you to develop a mindset that's eternal rather than just earthly in its perspective to set you apart to live differently where you are putting your focus on what matters most in light of heaven. And let's be very honest in this room this morning. That is a huge challenge for us as American Christians because we have so much stuff to distract us. It's very difficult. You know, those who live in certain places on the globe that love Jesus, that are under persecution and hardship, their biggest threat is the danger that they face. Our biggest threat as Christians in America is not so much at this point, I don't think danger, it's distraction. It's we have so much stuff in the culture we live in to just distract us. And again, be honest with yourself this morning. How focused, how interested are you really in the things above? Where's your mind been? How do you process decisions and your lifestyle? How much thinking do you do on earthly things in comparison to thinking about things above? And I would say as an encouragement for all of us this morning, perhaps today is a good day to ask the Lord to help you to change your mindset spiritually. That as you leave this place, Lord, how can I put in practice what you spoke to me this morning? Lord, would you... Would you change my mind spiritually? Because my mind's been conditioned and my mind's been consumed. Lord, help me to truly set my mind on things above to a greater degree and not on things of the earth. Well, Paul goes on for further reasoning of that, verse 3, to say, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the idea there is our old life, we once lived apart from following and serving Jesus. The Bible is saying, that life has ended and now we have this new life currently that's fully absorbed in Jesus. And he's saying this is the reason why we should seek what's above and we should put our mind on what's above. That old man who I once was before I was following Jesus, the Bible says that's not who I am anymore. He says it quite directly. Verse 3, look at it. He says, you died. Now certainly that doesn't mean died physically, literally, but the idea is spiritually. 
from God's perspective, that old person that you were or that I was before I started following Jesus Christ and was saved, that old person is no longer who you are. That old person, the Bible is trying to say to us, we are to be dead to that former way of living. We're no longer to think that that is who we are. That old man, the Bible says, was crucified with Christ. And it says not only that we had Jesus die for our sin, but the Bible says we died to sin, to the power of sin, to the influence of it over our lives. In Christ, we are now, the Bible says, someone who's died to an old way of life. Again, listen to how Paul says it in the sixth chapter of Romans. He says, our old man was crucified with Christ so that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We died with Christ and he was died has been freed from sin. He then says, Romans 6, 11, reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Bible says, listen, you shared in that experience when Christ died upon the cross. From God's perspective, when you came to Jesus, you were put together and made one with him. And so in the same way, Jesus died for sin. That's to take away the penalty. But Jesus also died, the Bible says, to sin. That is to the power of sin. So in the same way, Jesus' death for our sin has taken away the penalty and the punishment. But as well, the Bible says, together with Jesus, we died to sin once for all so that we might be alive and live to God now. And so we are to recognize biblically that we have died to sin's power to rule and reign over us. I guess the best way you could almost illustrate that is a, a dead person can't be tempted to sin. This is one of the things I did part-time years ago when I was trying to make extra income as a, as a second job. I used to go out and I used to pick up the corpses of people after they died with a funeral home. And, and listen, they couldn't have a conversation with us. They weren't tempted by anything. They, they, they were dead. They were dead to all influences and impulses and experiences. You can't lure or tempt a dead person to have a drink of alcohol or to do a little drugs or to watch an inappropriate movie. They're dead. They're dead. Well, the Bible is saying, listen, in the same way spiritually by faith, we are to live now as if we're dead to sin's influence. We're to live in such a way that we consider ourselves dead to those things. So when temptation comes, and it will, to live in sinful patterns or to indulge my flesh, I'm to remember in my mind, spiritually, that's not who I am anymore. That old man is dead to that. I'm dead to that life. I, I, I don't live in that way anymore. That life has died. You know, I heard a story this past week in preparing of two sisters who really enjoyed the party life and after they were converted, they were invited by their friends to come back out to one of the parties that they had participated in before with you know, their friends carousing. And when they got the invitation to the party, they sent their RSVP in these words to decline. We regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. You know, the old friends... Invite you to do the old things again. And, and hey, you want to come out, man? And come on, just come out of the bar. Let's, just, and let's go do this and let's go do that. And say, you know what? I'm sorry. That person's dead now. That person's dead now. I don't live that way any longer. And Paul speaks of our new identity. He says in verse 3, look what he says. Your life is hidden 
with Christ in God. From God's perspective, your life is so one and absorbed in Christ, he sees you as a brand new person. God doesn't see you any longer in who you once were. God sees you, whether you see yourself that way or not, God sees you as a brand new person in Christ. Listen to how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And can I say this morning, by way of encourage you, if you struggle with guilt over sin in any way, what imagine what that means for your spiritual standing before God. Do you see what he says there in verse 3? He says, your spiritual standing before a holy God, your life is hidden inside the life of Christ. That word hidden there that Paul uses in the original language means to conceal something so that it cannot be seen for the purposes of protecting it, to keep it safe. I mean, this is glorious, the reminder here that Jesus has taken my sinful life with all its stains and he has, if you would, concealed it in his life so that it cannot be seen any longer from God's perspective. Jesus has taken all of of everything about me that's sinful and as God looks at you now, it's all hidden in the person of Christ. And he has enveloped your life, enveloped and taken all of your sin and robed it and clothed it in his righteousness so that when God looks upon your life, as he views you to, to exercise favor towards you or bless you and desire to help you, God does not view you in your sinful condition. God doesn't view you in regards to your past mistakes and failures or who you were, the creep you were, the monster you were. The filthy person. God doesn't see that. God doesn't even see you in your present failures and struggles and your current sins you're wrestling with if your faith is in Christ. When God views you positionally in your standing, he sees your life hidden in Christ. He looks upon you with the same favor and love and desire to bless as that he would his own son, Jesus, because your life is hidden in Christ. The idea is you're safe in Christ. Your life has been robed in Jesus. There's confidence spiritually. That there's assurance eternally through our faith in Christ. We don't need to live feeling ashamed for our past sin. We don't need to live fearful of what we deserve because of some sin and wrongdoing. God the Father accepts you, listen, with the same acceptance he has towards his own son. Because your life is hidden. Hidden with Christ in God. Look what Paul says in verse 4 as he concludes this section. He says, And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he speaks here regarding that glorious day ahead when Jesus returns in all of his glory, a reference to the second coming, to set up his kingdom and you and I being together with him. Now as he refers to that future day there, he refers to it as when Christ appears in his glory and we are with him. The word appear that Paul uses there speaks of a a revelation. It speaks of making something visible so that all can see it. And he's referring to here that coming day when Jesus is going to appear openly to all of humanity to make it very evident that he's Lord over all. And he's not speaking here in verse 4 specifically. He's not speaking of when Jesus comes for his church. He's speaking of the time when Jesus comes with his church. 
And it's important that we understand biblically that these are two separate distinct events regarding the coming and the appearance of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that Jesus will first come and appear for his church, for Christians, for those who are followers of Christ. That Jesus, the Bible tells us, at a day that's unknown and an hour that's unknown is coming for those who are true followers of Jesus Christ, whereby he will remove us from this world off of this earth to bring us home to heaven with him prior to that seven-year period of tribulation and judgment that God's going to bring upon this Christ-rejecting world. Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is coming for his church, for Christians. The way that's going to happen is described in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17. How this is going to happen? How is Jesus coming for us? Listen to what Paul says. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, it says, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, notice, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. See, there is coming this moment, this unknown hour to no one on this planet where Christians will be miraculously, instantaneously, abruptly removed from this earth to be joined and meet together with Jesus, our Lord and Savior in the air, to go and be in heaven with him. It's what we often call the catching away of the church, or we use the term at times rapture, the harpazo, the, the abrupt snatching out of Christians from this earth, removed from this earth, from the wrath that's coming upon it, as Jesus comes for his followers to call them home. But once Jesus comes for his followers, Paul's referencing here in verse 4, the time when Jesus will then come with his followers. Because after Jesus removes the church and seven years of tribulation happen, at the end of that seven years of tribulation being fulfilled on the earth, the Bible tells us that Christ is coming a second time. And this is what we call the second coming of Christ. The time when Jesus will not just be in the air, what the Bible says will physically return back to the earth itself. Revelation 19 and 20 describe these events where Jesus, after the period of tribulation, comes back to this earth. He appears, described here, in all of his eternal glory. He appears as the resurrected, victorious Lord and King and he comes to this earth that he rightfully redeemed to set up his kingdom on this earth to rule and reign for a thousand years, what we call the millennium period. And that appearance and revelation in glory will be something where every eye will see him in his glory. Jesus described it this way in Mark 13. In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fail, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see, listen, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and it is this event this second coming of jesus his appearance in glory to rule and reign where we will return with christ that after seven years of being safely tucked away in heaven we will return with christ notice he says verse four when christ appears then you also will appear with him 
in glory. See, at this point, we are in our glorified eternal bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Our lowly body will be transformed like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ. We will have our resurrected, eternal, glorified bodies, and we will come back with Jesus, the Bible says, to help him as he rules in his glorious kingdom. We will return with him in his glory. Let me just say this morning, if you're a Christian, despite how bad your past experiences have been, and even today, maybe perhaps your present situation, listen, if you're a child of God, you have a glorious, glorious future. A glorious future ahead. The Bible says that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. A glorious future ahead. And all this is possible because of Jesus and what he's done for us and our relationship with him. I love that phrase in the beginning of verse 4 where he says, Christ who is our life. I mean, those words there, Christ who is our life. From heaven's point of view, Christ is what our life is supposed to be about. He says, Christ who is our life. Our life is now my entire life so as to be lived for Christ. Our life is supposed to be about Christ. This is what the Bible is reminding us. Now that's true spiritually and eternally, but is it true practically and experientially in our lives? Is that true of the way that we live? This morning, can I ask you, what is your life? What's your life? What's your life about? Evaluate. Fill in the blank. For some, listen, for some, career is their life. For some, you know, their children are their life. For some, some relationship is their life. Or success or approval of others is their life. Or maybe it's a hobby or a pursuit or, and, and, and that's your life. Whatever it may be. There are all these things that we can fill in there. Social media, for some of you, it's your life. But the Bible is saying, wait a minute. Christ should be our life. Our life should be about Christ as a follower of Jesus, forgiven, headed to heaven. Paul said, Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ. This morning, what is it to live for you? Paul says, for me to live, it's Christ. Doesn't mean I don't do other things, but to live is to live for Christ. To live for him above all else. Perhaps today, listen, you may be in this room and you say, man, I have no life. I have no life. Some of you may even at times think, I have no reason to live. Can I tell you that doesn't have to be true? There is a reason to live. You live for Jesus. Don't live for your spouse or for your kids or for your job or your success. Or, 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 or Listen, even live for yourself. Even if you can't live for anything, you live for Jesus. You live for Christ. And that will give value and purpose to your existence. Perhaps today is a good occasion to review what your life is really about. And for some of us, perhaps it's a good day to maybe make a decision, a determination to change what we've been seeking and put our minds on the right things and maybe to determine what our life is really about and to say, you know what, Christ, 
That's what my life's going to be about. My life is about Christ and I'm going to make it about Christ in how I live. Would you pray together with me? Father, thank you for this section of your word. And Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd help us to continue to, as we go through this day and week ahead, to be responsive to what it is you're trying to say to us in these very truths in the word of God this morning. Lord, as Christians, help us. Forgive us, we pray, when we become too earthly-minded and seeking after earthly things. Lord, help us to seek your kingdom first in new ways in this season ahead, to live for Christ. And Father, if there's anyone here with us that isn't yet in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we know that's what they need, Lord. And as Christians, that's our heart. We're thinking of them right now. We want to see them choose to live for Christ. And so we ask by your Spirit you'd reveal to them that need and cause them to be open to that this morning. You know, before I have Brian lead us in a final song, I'm going to give you an opportunity if you're here and I'm talking to you if you aren't right now living for Christ. Maybe you've been attending church. Maybe you've been raised in a Christian home. Maybe you've been doing a lot of Christian things, but you're not really living for Christ you're living for yourself still and that's an empty way to live and I want you to know that Jesus can forgive any sin and that's what you need to do is let Jesus forgive the way you've been living and you need to start following Christ Jesus said follow me and maybe this morning that's what you need to do if you believe you're a sinner and you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross and you believe that he's alive from the dead and he's the only way to get to heaven, you need to receive that in a personal act of faith.